The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Peter approached Jesus and asked him, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus answered, I say to you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. That is why the kingdom of heaven may be likened to a king who decided to settle accounts with his servants. When he began the accounting, a debtor was brought before him who owed him a huge amount. Since he had no way of paying it back, his master ordered him to be sold, along with his wife, his children, and all his property, in payment of the debt. At that, the servant fell down, did him homage, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back in full. Moved with compassion, the master of that servant let him go and forgave him the loan. When that servant had left, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a much smaller amount. He seized him and started to choke him, demanding, Pay back what you owe. Falling to his knees, his fellow servant begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he had the fellow servant put in prison until he paid back the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had happened, they were deeply disturbed and went to their master and reported the whole affair. His master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave your entire debt because you begged me to. Should you not have had pity on your fellow servant, as I had pity on you? Then in anger, his master handed him over to the torturers, until he should pay back the whole debt. So will my heavenly Father do to you, unless each of you forgives your brother from your heart. The Gospel of the Lord. A couple of brief announcements before we begin the homily. Uh, at St. Inn, tomorrow morning, we'll be uh, taking up the portion of the concrete to the main driveway along the church back to the cemetery as it's, it's been patched multiple times and it's past, uh, it's past patching and needs just complete repair. Uh, and so we'll be doing that this week. Uh, so if anyone is going um, to the masses over there or going to visit the cemetery, we'd ask that you would use the exits, uh, the entrance and exits on Turkey Street uh, around the back uh, to get to the back of the church and the cemetery. Our second collection today is for our catechism program here in the parish. Uh, it will be uh, everything, goes in, everything that goes in the basket stays here in the parish uh, to benefit our youth. So we do appreciate generosity in that regard. And today is the third Sunday of the month. Typically we have uh, the third Sunday benediction and uh, the brunch. Uh, today we just have benediction. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll linger a moment with the Lord and then we'll go off to our homes. And we're doing that because um, next weekend we will celebrate uh, our communal feast, the Feast of St. Vincent de Paul. Uh, so if you would like to pray the novena to St. Vincent this week, which I would certainly encourage you to do, it begins tomorrow and it continues for nine days. A novena means nine. Uh, so we have the cards on the back and the little table on your way out for the exit uh, we do have those available for you. So again, it begins tomorrow and continues through next Tuesday. 
So that means next Sunday we'll have uh, a little feast here. Uh, we'll do a potluck, a potluck brunch. Uh, so if anybody wants to bring something to, uh, to nibble on or to share with a neighbor, uh, we'll be able to have it all set up before Mass. And that way we can just do Mass, get the final blessing, and then go immediately over there uh, and not, uh, not make the food cool off a little bit longer uh, with benediction. So now that we're done with announcements, we'll get to the good part, Father's favorite part. This week in the gospel, we certainly hear that through all the scriptures, we hear about forgiveness. But it's important for us, I think, to pause and to reflect upon the reaction and the response of the man as he comes before God. And what essentially is the parable. The man, the, the, the lowly servant, goes before the master. The master who, who has a, a, a debt owed to him that, that the man cannot ever repay. And that's what Jesus is drawing the parallel. The parallel is is the master is God, the servant is us. So it's important for us to reflect upon how he responds in the presence of the master so that we can respond appropriately in the presence of the Lord. And so we do so reflecting upon this reality that we experience, particularly in the Eucharistic prayer. The Eucharistic prayer is the, the, the core of the mass. It's everything, everything leads to it and everything flows from it. It is the, the center of, of our it's the reason we're here. Our Lord offers a sacrifice for us, and we come and we offer it to the Father. It's exactly what we do every Sunday. The Lord Jesus has made his gift to the Father once and for all. He laid his life down on the cross. And every Sunday when we come here to Mass, every day that we go to Mass even, the Lord invites us to offer that gift of himself back to the Father. Because we come, we come empty-handed. We come, and, and, and even if, and if we, we sold everything we have, and if, we, if we, we gave away all of our possessions, had all the things in the world, it would never be enough for us to pay back God for what we've done in sinning against Him. It would never be enough. So there's only one way that we can have reconciliation with God, that we can be reconciled and to be able to be at peace with the Lord. Namely, that He would forgive us the debt. And that happens in the person of Jesus. Jesus pays the price for our redemption with his blood on the cross. St. Paul reminds us you've been purchased and at a price. You've been purchased for God. And so when we come and we offer this gift of the Eucharist each and every week, we offer it back to the Father. Because again, I can offer God all kinds of things, but I will always come up short. So offer the gift of Jesus himself and say, Father, he is all I have. And he is all I need to know that the price has been paid. That's the essence of the Eucharistic prayer. Again, the Eucharistic prayer is that main piece that we kneel, uh, we kneel for the majority of it, where you go from the holy, 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 uh, and then up into the great amen immediately preceding the Our Father. That's the Eucharistic prayer. In the church today, we have four main Eucharistic prayers, and we have some other minor ones. Uh, they are named, practically, Eucharistic prayer number one, number two, number three, and number four. We're very creative sometimes liturgically, sometimes not. But what we do is all four of those Eucharistic prayers, they come in different sizes and lengths and languages. But the main focus of each of them is that there are four parts there are four main parts to each of the Eucharistic prayers, that regardless of which one is done, these main aspects are there. And the first part is that they offer gifts. 
We come and we, and we recognize that we have bread and we have, we have wine. We have ourselves and our intentions and we give them to the Lord. And we ask the Lord to come and to fill them with his Holy Spirit. And so we pray. Then taking those gifts, we offer and we pray the institution narrative of how Jesus on the night before he was betrayed or at the Last Supper when he was with his disciples or so on. And then pray in those words of consecration. The offerings that we make become the offering of Jesus. They become his body and his blood shed for us on the cross. So in flowing forth from that, we have the intercessions. Where we pray not just for myself. Remember last weekend, it's not just me and Jesus. It's me, Jesus, and everybody else. So we pray for others with prayers of intercession. Praying for the church, praying for the world, for the living, for the dead. We pray for the Pope and for our bishop explicitly by name. And then lastly, we conclude with the great doxology. Doxology means the praises. So it's the, the through him and with him and in him, etc., etc. How we sing this great hymn of praise and the, and the congregation responds with a resounding, resounding, uh, amen. And the amen is supposed to be resounding because it's something that we believe with our entire hearts. It's not just an I believe and in a mental sense where I, I believe it in my mind, yes, I understand, you know, yes, God gets praise. Okay, check. But rather we believe it with our lives so we actually live the fact that God deserves our praise. And so we sing the amen, rejoicing in the gift that God has given to us that we can give back to him for our salvation. Now you'll likely have noticed that on most Sundays, almost exclusively, I use a particular Eucharistic prayer, Eucharistic prayer one. And that's for a very definite purpose. And I want to explain that briefly to you, uh, but even more so to get into how exactly we can pray it. So the Eucharistic prayer one is what uh, is also known as the Roman canon. The Roman canon basically just means the, the Roman set of prayers. Uh, and so we recognize that in the church, our experience of church, our experience of Catholicism is Roman right Catholic faith, right? The majority of Catholics are Roman right Catholics. Pretty much everyone we know is usually a Roman right Catholic. But we recognize that the Roman right to the church, although the largest, is only one of 22 branches of the tree. It's an interesting thing we don't always experience very much. You get a lot more in Europe and other parts of the world over here uh, where pretty much Catholicism is oftentimes synonymous with Roman Catholic uh, experience of the faith. But we are one branch of the tree. In each of those branches, we all do the same things. We just kind of do them in different ways. The priests will wear all similar vestments. They'll just be different styles or different designs, different colors. We'll have the similar feasts, but we'll pray them in different ways. We have the mass, but it happens in different celebrations and different modes and manners. And so it's important for us to recognize that what we celebrate as Catholics here each week is a Roman liturgy. To be able to express our own particular experience of the Catholic faith. The Eucharistic prayer that we use each week, the Roman canon, was generally set in place uh, and was more or less in its, final, in its final composition stage by the 500s. So... At the late, in the late 5th century, it was pretty much done. The 6th century, it was set in stone and written in books, word for word almost, as we have it today. And when you went to Mass, there wasn't an option of a Eucharistic prayer 1, 2, 3, or 4. It was, this is the Eucharistic prayer. 
And so every single Mass that was offered for some 1,500 plus years in the life of the Catholic Church and the Roman Rite, it was this Eucharistic prayer. And that's why we use it. That's why I use it exclusively on Sundays and Solemnities, to be able to emphasize the, the fact of our history. That we literally were saying and we're praying the same things that have been said by the majority of the saints that we know. That these were the words, the only words they knew when they talked about the Mass. This was it. And so it ties us back together with a long string of saints throughout the ages. And hopefully one day, ages on past us, if the Lord continues to delay his coming and generosity for us to convert our hearts, maybe one day too will be the saints that someone else will be tying along to in the line of history. And so we have a great tradition in celebrating this, this particular Eucharistic prayer. And so I want to explain again briefly how to enter into it and, and why, uh, why we pray the things that we do. But before I do, I want to encourage you, if you want to dig a little bit more into this, there's a wonderful place to start. It's a book called In Memory of Me by Father Milton Walsh. Uh, this is 200 pages of reflection just on this one Eucharistic prayer. So if you think there's a lot to say about this, I'm not saying anything <laughs> compared to this. Uh, that, that every time we talk about the Mass and the liturgy, we're just thinking about scratching the surface. We're not even getting to the scratching part uh, as far as these homilies are concerned. So uh, if you're enjoying the homilies, there's a whole lot more out there uh, that's waiting for us. But just to get briefly into concrete ways of how we can pray with this Eucharistic prayer. One is I would encourage you to study it. To really t take some time and, and read through it. To look at it. To make sense of it. And to ask what is it saying and when and why. There's a definite structure and a beautiful structure to it. But to be able to pause and to look at the wording of things. To look at the phrases. One of the particular things that one notices as you, look, as you look through this particular prayer is it is very strong in sacrificial language. It often uses the word sacrifice or oblation or offering. All three of those are synonymous. So it's a reminder to us that what we come and we offer here is not just a meal in a communal meal setting, but rather it is a sacrifice. It is the sacrifice of Jesus himself that he's made for us. That we unite ourselves to that sacrifice. That it is truly worship that we offer here. Not just coming to, to, get, to, to get something from ourselves from the Lord. But we first and foremost give. Again, this is a centerpiece of the Mass. We give to the Lord the gift of himself. And we ask for his mercy as it pours back upon us. And so that would say that would be the first thing for us to be able to do. Is to study this prayer. And to reflect upon it. Take it to prayer, really. The second thing that I would encourage you to do is to make use of the pauses. You likely notice that as we go through the prayer, at the beginning and towards the end, there are two notable pauses where the prayer just comes to a screeching halt. And it's for a purpose. It's for our prayer. At the beginning it says, Remember, Lord, your servants... And stops right there in the middle of the sentence. And it's a wonderful thing to do so. In the Missal, as well as in your Missalettes, it includes two letters. In, period, and in, period. That means insert name here. So whenever we pray that first prayer, we're praying for the living. 
We're praying for for our family, our friends. We're praying for ourselves. We're praying for those who have asked us to pray for them through the course of the week. And as I offer that prayer and then close my hands and draw in silence for a moment, that's what I'm praying for. I'm praying for my intentions. I'm praying for everyone that has asked me to pray for them through the course of the week. People that have a surgery coming up or that just went through one. And also praying for you and your intentions. So together we offer those intentions to God our Father in the quiet of our hearts in that moment of silence. After the consecration, we have another, another pause, and that one is for those who have died. There too, we pause and reflect on those who have died this past week. Our family and friends who have died even many years back. To pray that God's peace and mercy would be with them and with all those who have died. So those two places of pause are not just for us to rest for a moment and kind of catch our breath, but rather they're a time of intense prayer for us to specifically recall by name as we offer this gift to God our Father, the Lord himself. The third thing I would invite you to do is to recognize that it's not just you praying, that it's the Holy Spirit praying in you. And this is an important piece. In the other three Eucharistic prayers, they mention the Holy Spirit explicitly multiple times through the course of the prayer. But in the Roman canon, it's kind of a, an, an odd thing because the prayer is offered to God our Father and it, it continually references the Father over and over. And over and over we hear that refrain, through Christ our Lord, amen, through Christ our Lord, amen. And nowhere in there is mentioned the Holy Spirit. And it can seem odd that we kind of just forgot about him. But the reality is, it's not that he is so far away or that he has forgotten about But it's only in the Holy Spirit that we know that we can pray. It's the Spirit who teaches us to pray. And in the Eucharistic prayer that we offer each week, whenever we speak the words we, the words I are not spoken in the Eucharistic prayer, by the way. We use the word we. And it doesn't just mean you and I. It means us and the Holy Spirit. We do these things. It's the Spirit who teaches us to pray. And it's the Spirit who shapes our hearts, hopefully, in that same gift of what we see in the Gospel. The man who comes humbly, who knows that he is utterly reliant upon his Master for his needs, who comes with a certain decorum and dignity towards the one to whom he has great debt. And he has a duty not only towards him, but also a duty towards others to go and to do likewise as we've been shown mercy, to be merciful to others. And above all, to be filled with joy and thanksgiving. Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. And so we come and we offer this thanks to God, this powerful prayer. And we know that God is grateful for it, that God receives it with great joy, and he pours that joy upon us who come to worship. So as we come here today, let us offer ourselves to the Lord. Let us be mindful of the gift of Jesus on the cross that has purchased us for heaven. Let us trust in the Lord. Let us come before him and beg him that he might have mercy on us, that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit, that we might be able to become saints and to pray for all the world.